the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 970 The Answer presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information from the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. I'm getting closer to my house. Call now. 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. We're back, and you're listening to Eye on Real Estate. I'm Dottie Herman, uh, CEO of Douglas Elliman. I have Ace, one of Supar. Getting there, who is the vice president of Citizens Bank, <laughs> and Jerry Feeney, who is my co-host, who is the greatest real estate attorney that I know. Not that there aren't some other good ones, but he's great. And um, we just were talking, and I'll just finish this up. That uh, you know, this is a prediction to say that land sizes will get smaller because there's not enough land, so people will subdivide land, and maybe they'll change the zoning, so it won't have to be as big, uh, but house sizes will get bigger. And they say that probably um, in 2016, the the average house is about 2,600. It's going to be over 3,000. And people will want bigger houses. And I think I remember reading something, and maybe even saying it on this station, that homes were going to get smaller. But that was probably during the recession or something. Uh, as again, are you going to call these people up 20 years if they're wrong? No. But it looks like, I will say this, from what I see in the housing market, the housing market's going to be pretty good for the next, I say, five years, be- at least five years, unless something catastrophic happens that I don't know about and that we hope never happens. Uh, you have a generation, the millennials, which are very much pro home buying, correct, Ace? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. I mean, they want to own. They definitely want to own, yes. Um, they believe in the American dream. It's not out of fashion. It's not passe. It's not something their grandparents wanted, and they don't. And then the generation after them, which I'm not sure what their name is yet, but that's even, that's a big generation also. So, and, and there's just not a lot of supply, and we're running out of land. So I... Uh, I think you're going to find a healthy market. Now, what is a healthy market? Jerry, a healthy market can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. So let me ask Ace and Jerry, what do you think a healthy market is? Um, Well, to me, a healthy market is one where there's liquidity so that, you know, houses don't linger even when appropriately priced. And a healthy market, I think, is one that has reasonable uh, appreciation without extravagant, non-sustainable levels of appreciation, you know, like 20% year over year. That, to me, is not a healthy market because 
that means we're getting ready for a bust. Exactly. No, I, I, I totally agree with you, Jerry. I think, you know, people say, you know, will the prices come down? And I think, you know, really, Dottie, you mention it all the time. Inventory is still low. And, you know, I think a healthy market, you, you always have a really good balance between supply and demand, right? And I think, you know, we continue to have really low inventory and, you know, rates are really low. So, you know, you kind of have best of both worlds right now with sort of prices coming back down to normalcy. And I think yes. if you're priced correctly, you know, that inventory will move. And when they say prices are down, you have to understand what that means. That means that they were they went up so high. So high, exactly. Okay, that they were astronomical. So they're just kind of, and people will pay so much and then that's it. So now they're kind of just, you know, kind of cooling down in the sense that they're not being, they're not going up 10, 20%, but five but you don't want that to happen because, like I say, what goes up must go down. Okay? If it goes up too much, it's going to come down. So what you really want is a healthy market where, you know, it keeps up with inflation and it, and it goes up 3 5% around. Um, that's pretty healthy. And I don't see anything but a fairly healthy market for most part, you know, across the country. And, again, if you see something that's on the market over a year, I would question something is either wrong with the house or there's probably a price problem. Um, I have some questions, and um, the first question somebody asked me is, again, a lot of people are saying, oh, I'm getting taxed to death. I need to get out of New York State. Uh, how do I do that? Well, first of all, I'm not going to tell you how to do that. I, it's very tricky. I think that you really have to talk to your accountant. But let me just tell you this. You have to be, to be a resident, because your taxes are going to be definitely cheaper if you're not in New York City, uh, if you're not in New York, but you have to be out of the state 185 days a year, okay? Mm -hmm. 185 days a year. And the state of New York counts that if you were in New York for 35 seconds, that counts as a day. That counts as a full day. So you really have to give up being a New Yorker if you're going to do that. Uh, you know, and you hear so many people that are trying to do it or they want to do it. I don't find it's as many as people say. Uh, but and they're very, they're very aggressive on the tax departments in terms of the auditing. And, you know, I hear people say all the time, oh, I'm a resident for tax purposes. No, you're a resident <laughs> of wherever you're a resident and that's it. You can't just decide where you're a resident uh, without, you know, the facts fitting it. And being present in the jurisdiction for 180 days in a year and having a principal place of abode, like an apartment that you rent or something, means you are, by definition, a resident. Yeah, and if you go to some advisors, I mean, one, I, I know some of them are talking about, uh, estate planners are talking about, putting a property into a limited liability company that's set up in a low-tax state and then divvying up shares of the LLC into trust and each claims the maximum of 10000 It gets complicated. And truthfully, you really have to give up being a New Yorker. So that's something that you really have to think about. And as I said, if you, uh, you know, I, I, I think and I've been reading and all these people that moved to Florida and stuff like that, I think that you should go live there first for a while. Or at least spend the, you know, summer there or a couple of months there, and yeah. and make sure because you know, 
they're pretty tough. Uh, they're they're pretty they're they're pretty tough on uh, going after you. So, uh, but that's how many days you need. 185 days a year. You have to be out of the state. After that, you can be anywhere, but you cannot be in New York. And so, and if you're in New York for 35 seconds, it counts as a full day. So that's what what somebody had asked me how many days, and that's how many days. I have a, a question from. Um, I'm not sure who this is for. It doesn't say who it's for. I've been fighting with my next door neighbor in my apartment building for years. The <laughs> landlord has taken my neighbor's side and told me he would evict me if the arguing doesn't stop. Can a landlord evict me because I don't get along with my neighbor? If I don't get along, what if I don't get along with my landlord? Answer. Do you have an answer for that, Jerry? I guess that's yeah. a Jerry question. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, if we evicted people for not getting along with their neighbors, there would be no one left in New York or just a few. You know, that's not it's not a violation of the terms of your lease. Harassment is and interfering with other people's quiet enjoyment. So if the argument is, you know, escalating and screaming, I don't I don't really understand this. Just don't talk to each other. Just leave each other alone. Like stop, you know, don't talk if you can't get along. Um, unless they're doing some activity that is interfering with your quiet enjoyment. Why do you need to engage with them if you guys don't get along? I don't quite understand that true <clears throat> um but no they can't evict you just for just for arguing yeah this came from billy in the bronx and he says i've missed two months rent when i lost my job but mm-hmm. i am trying to catch up now the past week i found a notice on my door telling me to cure or quit mm-hmm. which i think is an eviction notice <laughs> Do I need a lawyer? Can the landlord change my locks to put my furniture on the curb? What if I pay up all the back rent? Can he still evict me? So it's not an eviction. It's the precursor to an eviction. It's what needs to be done. Um, notice to cure or quit means uh, that you've been officially put on notice that you're in default. And before they can, uh, you know, it's, it's a requirement in the papers that they give to the court to ask for an eviction that they have done this. Can he change your locks? No, absolutely not. Self, it's called self-help. In New York, it's illegal. The landlord tries to, con- to change, landlord changes your locks. The police go to the landlord's house and they say, go change the locks in the next 30 minutes or we will put handcuffs on you and take you to jail. They do not take kindly to that in New York. It's not allowed. But if they just put a notice on your door, what if somebody takes the notice off? Well, you know, it's, it's a process Do they have of, to formally send you something in the mail, or can they yeah, just put a notice on your door? It's called yeah, nail and mail. So you got to nail the notice on the door or tape it on the door and mail a copy in an envelope that generally doesn't indicate who it's from to try to get you to open it. So that gives you, you know, whether you have effective service of that is up to the court to decide. But assuming that they did, then the next step would be they would take you to court and you would have a hearing. Do you have to get a lawyer? You know, yes, I would I would certainly try to get somebody, maybe at legal aid, to help. But the best thing is to call your landlord and have a conversation uh, and say, look, I know I, you know, first acknowledge it. I know I owe you rent. I have a plan to pay it. Will you agree to this? Generally, that's all they want. They want their, yeah. they want their Nobody. rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody really wants to go to eviction if they can yeah. help it unless they, you know, unless you're like a bad tenant or something. Yeah. And so to answer to your question, I think he's just giving you notice that you better pay up. 
To protect cure his means, rights. Yeah. Cure pay. means that. Pay it. Okay? So he's not going to evict you if you pay it, my uh, guess is. And you know, I tell way, people all the time, if they know they're going to be late on the rent, call your landlord before. And say, listen, I just want to tell you what's going on in my life. And, you know, I didn't plan this, but here's what happened. People, people appreciate honesty usually, and they'll usually try to work with you. Yeah. By the way, somebody had asked the question, maybe it was last week or the week before, how many months security can a landlord take? I thought Jerry answered it, but um, just in case you didn't hear him, most residential leases and rental agreements in New York require a security deposit. This dollar amount usually is one month's rent. That's intended to cover damage to the premises beyond normal wear and tear. But New York has no statutory limit on security deposits for non-regulated oh. units. So if they know. want to charge you did. more, I yeah. guess they can. Hmm. Okay. Um, one misconception that many tenants have is they are entitled to use their security deposit as their last month's rent. Now, I know a lot of people say, okay, so I'm moving out. I gave a security deposit of $1,000 because mm-hmm. my rental is $1,000. And so I won't pay the last month. I'll use my securities. Um, so it's a misconception because they're not entitled to do that. They right. would have to ask the landlord if they could do that, because the whole idea is you're supposed to pay your last month rent, and then the, the landlord is supposed to check the apartment and make sure there's no damages or whatever, and then if there's nothing and you've left the apartment in good condition, then he will give it back to you. Mm-hmm. So it, pres, presuming that you can do that is really not correct. By the way, New Yorkers spent approximately $507 million on security deposits in 2016. Let me take a question from Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. Jimmy from Astoria. Hello, Donnie. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I've been dealing with this outdoor establishment bar since 2009 they opened. And all they do is make uh, so much noise with different music bands and DJs. And I feel like I can't live in my house anymore, but I really don't want to relocate and sell. I feel I'm going to take a loss at it. And I'm just at my wit's end and feeling I have to sell and move. I I don't seem to have a choice. And they're very well connected with uh, the community board and uh, who knows what kind of lawyers. And I don't think I could really afford to fight them, you know. So my are you the question, only one I guess, is are you the, what can are I you do the, about this, if anything, more, you know? Are you the only one that's complained? Does anyone else complain? Oh, no. I've had petitions signed through the neighborhood that's affected and put up posters and spoke to the uh, owners, you know, personally. But I, I have no satisfaction and seemingly no other recourse but to sell and relocate. Well, uh, but, so first of all, when you make a complaint. This is in New York City? Yes, in Queens, yeah. New York, yeah. Okay, so when you make a complaint, uh, what, what if anything has happened? Have you gone to the community board meetings and talked about it there? No, I've called my local uh, politician, Van Bramer, and uh, they uh, set up you know, letters with the police department, Department of Environmental Protection, and mm-hmm. they've given them notice They've taken them to court and fined them, had a hearing. 
But uh, that was over with, and they're back to their own nonsense. Well, uh, it's not just going to happen in one fell swoop. It's got to be, you know, continuous. And if they yeah, find them, well, hold on. Let me let me let me let me let me, let me try to. Oh, right, well, you go this. ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> You're asking me a question. I'm trying to help you. What I'm saying is not going to happen in one fell swoop. So you got to keep going at it. I would every single time they exceed a reasonable noise threshold, uh, you know, call the three one one and make a, a noise complaint, and tell your neighbors to do the same thing. You don't want to be the only one. I would also go to the next. Totally, community, yes. I would. I would also go to the next community board meeting. For your community board and um, start to get them involved in it. Uh, they usually have a little bit more sway. Um, you know, I would not just simply give up and, and leave. I, I would keep trying these other avenues also. How long? Um, well, see, like your suggestion when calling 311, I've done that, kept record of it, and given mm-hmm. it to the local politician, and that led to a hearing and a fine for them. But mm-hmm. it seems like they make so much money that. They ignore anything, you know, well, usually. So I guess my only recourse is to go to the community board and yeah. try that avenue or something. Yeah, I would try that, but don't give up. But if saying. but if you if you sell it, you're gonna you're you're going to probably. I uh, can't be certain, but probably my guess is you're gonna sell it for less money because there's a bar there, uh, unless someone doesn't notice it. Where is the where is is it a bar, or is it's it a, a beer garden? And what is it? Outdoors, indoors, and uh, you know they just seem to be uh, lawless. Yeah. 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 So uh, unless then, somebody you know likes to have a beer garden as you know the, right in their yard, I uh, I would try a little further, especially if you like living there. Yes. Yes. Well, sell, I feel know. like if I sell and relocate, I won't get the same kind of a property. I like my garden and all that, and I won't be able to afford anything, you know, to move. Yeah, and, and chances are you're going to have to disclose that to a buyer, and then you know, is the buyer going to want to step into your problem there? I would, I would, I would not give up so quickly. Uh, I've had people with a lot of success going to the community board to try to help here, uh, and you just can't be the only one. You got to go with you know five or six of your neighbors. Um, oh, so I understand that. Like I said, yeah. I had over a hundred people sign the petition, Good. which Good. I submitted like two years ago. Go grab some of them. And okay, go to but the that's community two years meeting. ago, yeah. and so they got a slap on their wrist, and they went back to their thing. Yeah. It's got to be consistent. You can't do it once every two yeah. years. You got to be, excuse my language, a pain in the butt, yeah. and you've got to get your neighbors to do more than sign a petition. Like if I had to send them one every two or three weeks, I would because. You know, they got it. They gave the guy a fine. They probably said a few words to him, and then they haven't heard anything, so they went back to their yeah. ways. And I would, so I would get you all your neighbors. Yeah, I would get all your neighbors' phone numbers and uh, put, you know, get everybody in a group chat. And when it, the noise starts to happen, text everybody. Say, listen, time to call three one one and make the complaint. And if everybody starts calling three one one, watch what happens. What one person does, okay. It all right. And let us know how you All make right. out. Let's see Go if that works. Go stand up for yourself. Don't All right, Jimmy. Move. Good yeah. luck. Okay. Good luck. Thank you so much. You guys okay. are so helpful. <laughs> we'll try. be right back with more of your questions right after the break. We'll be back. You're listening to Ion Real Estate.
It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. You're listening to I on Real Estate. I'm here with Jerry and Ace. We're back for our final half an hour, so if you have any questions, get them in. Um, I have a question from Michelle from the Bronx. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Dottie. Hi, Jerry. Thank you very much. Um, I'm thinking of uh, looking at Valentine Gardens uh, just above Riverdale. Um, uh, people have said to stay away from Yonkers, but since uh, real estate is changing, uh, I said, let me call Dottie and ask her what she thinks of the area. Oh, well... I, you know, I, I, I would say this. I, I wouldn't listen to what people say. I would first, I mean, make sure that if it's a place that you like to live and that you're comfortable in, um, that's the first, you know, because, you know, not everyone likes the same place. So right. second of all, yeah. I would look at prop. I would go to, um, I don't happen to have an office in Yonkers, but I would go to a uh, real estate office or call or you could go online and Zillow and look it up and see what the properties are going for. See if they're going up and down. But I, uh, again, you know, I, when they say don't stay away from Yonkers, I don't, I, I, I haven't heard that. I haven't yeah. heard anything like that. Now, in oh. every, in every area, like in every town, there's always, you know, there could be a, a block or two that's not desirable or there's like commercial on it. But it's yeah. in my, uh, in in my infinite wisdom, I see all anything around New York City going up. I mean, I all think right. they so they said stay away from the Bronx probably at one point too, and look what's right. happening to the Bronx. That's, right. So, That's right. Yeah. But what I do, what I would look at is I look at values. So what you want to do, and uh, if you need any help, we can help you. But you want to do, and you want to see like what like what prices did year over year. In other words, did things go up? Did they go down? And again. The go visit where you know where you where Yonkers you like and ask people who live there. Okay, all right. Okay, but I just okay. I, don't, I you know I think that's I I don't know where that came from. I've never heard that. Okay, there's a lot of, there's a lot of value in Yonkers. You just got to yeah, look. Yonkers is close. Thank you, and have a great weekend, Michelle. It's true. Thank you so much. Just You're don't welcome. get lost in Yonkers. <laughs> no, I think yeah, it was a play. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. Like you know, Stephen I guess Howard. every everyone has different things. <laughs> uh, this was a question to, for me. I live on the ground floor of a two-family house in Brooklyn, and Gravesend. My landlord lives upstairs. He claims the house went into foreclosure, and now he's sold the house back to the bank. Well, I don't know if he it, sold the house back to the bank. I, I think that's a. I guess he wanted you to think he sold the house back to the bank. <laughs> right. I think the bank took the house without. Yes. Um, they want me out in two weeks. Help. <laughs> Who wants you out? The, the guy that doesn't own it anymore? <laughs> well, you know, Ray, you're going to have to be a little bit more specific because, okay, if he claimed that he went into foreclosure. And which might be so, it might take them a long time to get him out, to get him actually out and evict him. So if he's still living in the house, as long as he's still living in the house. Right. And, you know, do you have, first of all, do you have a lease or not? That does matter. 
but you know, if he doesn't own the house anymore, he doesn't have anything to say. You got to wait for the the new owner, meaning the bank. And most likely, all the bank wants, <clears throat> if it's a two-family house, is they want the rent paid to them because they they're entitled to that, and they might want to sell it with it occupied. Yeah, I'm not so, even sure if it's a foreclosure. I'm not sure yeah. if you missed something because he sounds like a ploy. It says you show me the paper. He That's claims what I he said. went yeah. into foreclosure and now he sold the house back. He might yeah. not be in foreclosure. I mean, he right. might be. I don't know. But he might be just saying that because he wants you out. So as Jerry yeah. said, see if you have a lease. Now, if you don't have a lease and he wants to get you out, then he'll have to. There's a process. Got to go to court. Go through the process of getting mm-hmm. you out. And what is that process when there's no lease? Jerry, is there any way to find out if, that, if you're, the house actually went into foreclosure? Is there any way a tenant can do that? Yes, they can. They can go down to um, the the well. The city's records don't always show They're not the, up to the date online. Always. Yeah, the online records are not up to date. But you can go down to the uh, the courthouse and see if there's a a foreclosure proceeding that has been you know started and or yeah. if an award of foreclosure has been made. But, but I wouldn't do anything until yeah, would, you get paper. You know, meaning I, I you're served. Either. And let me explain what, what, what that process is. When you go into foreclosure, that means that you've missed three months of mortgage payments, okay? And that's when your house is put into a foreclosure list. In New York State especially, uh, by the time they actually foreclose on your house, it could be years. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if he's just in a foreclosure like because he didn't pay for three months. Now he says he bought his house. He sold the house back. I, I don't even understand who he Doesn't sold it back sense. to. Yeah. So something's wrong with what he's telling you. Either he's telling you something incorrect or you misunderstood what he said. Uh, as I think Jerry would say, I really wouldn't do anything at the moment. Okay? Um, and if the bank did take the house, they're not going to throw you out overnight. <laughs> okay? and, you, and you'll hear from them. They're and you will hear them. from the bank. Yes, the bank would send you notice. <laughs> and usually they... You know, and they usually give you plenty of time, and if you, and in many, in some cases, they even give you money to help you find something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something seems like rotten with that. So, so I think I would just do nothing right now. I have another question. My homeowners association at my condo in Jupiter sent me a letter claiming that because of some error on their part, I accidentally haven't been billed for maintenance fees for the lawns and gardens for three years. <laughs> Okay, the bill is $44 a month, Mm -hmm. and they've asked me to pay nearly $1,500 with my next month's regular payment. I'm furious that they demanded this money when it was their mistake. Now my new bill is $44 more plus $1,500. They say I owe them. What are my rights legally? Well, you know, usually these uh, billing errors don't, they aren't necessarily a windfall for the person who wasn't being billed properly you know the the question is did, did they were they entitled to that money you know you can you can ask them for an accounting you can ask them to show where they're entitled to these uh, grounds fees and uh, but if they're right they're gonna win because yeah. they did the groundwork and you were entitled to pay it and you just got some relief for a while uh, I think that if you say to them listen I wasn't ready for this so I need several months to pay it that's reasonable um, but you're eventually gonna have to pay it so yeah I, let me tell you what happened to me when I first bought my house uh, out east. Um, uh, I had, you know, the builder left me a list of, you know, whoever 
you know, whoever the maintenance people were, mm-hmm. so who the gardener was, this and that. So my gardener, I used whoever he left on the list. Right. So the gardener was a young guy, and uh, I think we were both fairly young, and uh, he did my maintenance, and so and he did my you know he did my landscaping and all that stuff, and like the same thing happened. I mean, he had a lot of business, and he was overwhelmed, and like four or five years later, he sent me a bill for like two hundred thousand dollars or something. I don't know. It was ridiculous, like one hundred fifty thousand dollars. And I said to my assistant, oh, my God, I go, look at the bill. See, did I ever pay him? And yeah. she said, no, you never paid him because you never sent a bill. Right. Okay? You don't always know if you paid him. Oh, right. So, yeah. so he must have done that for a few people that he had. So, well, good, it's good to be have that much business that you don't miss payments. I guess so. He needs a new uh, bookkeeper. <laughs> but, you know, there's a, there's a thing. But in what the law. I did is I called him up and I still yeah. use him to this day. And I said, look, yeah. I can't afford to pay 150. I mean, whatever it was, it was a huge yeah. number yeah. because I have an acre. So, um, we worked something out, you know, yeah. and I paid yeah. him, you know, and but it was his error, and I couldn't afford to pay all of that at that right. time. So he worked something out with me, yeah. and I still use him. So well, the other thing is, look, there's there's this thing called quantum merit in the law, which is if you sit back and watch somebody who comes and accidentally mows your lawn for three years, you never ordered it. They were supposed to be mowing somebody else's lawn. They got something messed up. But they keep mowing your lawn, and you sit back and have lemonade and watch them. You can't do that. You know, you have to speak up. So the the fact is that, but the flip side of that is, you can't always tell if all the work was done when you get a bill three years later because you're like, I don't know if you mowed the lawn three years ago on a Saturday, you know. So there does have to be some discount on that. I agree because I, I hate when I get things like that because I'm, I don't remember, you know, six months ago whether right. you came and you did and, not pay it on purpose. Flowers. You just never got yeah. the bill, so you didn't right. think about it. Right. Happened to me. Yeah. So um, while we have a few more minutes, I have, uh, Ace, I've been reading that there are lenders are becoming more flexible with investment home mortgages. Now we're talking about investment homes, which I plan to talk to you about a little later in the season. Um, but they are becoming more flexible, they say, because uh, of interest rates and because they're very hot. Not only do homeowners get rental income to help cover both mortgages, they will also continue to see price appreciation. By the way, if you can find a nice two-family home and you are comfortable with being a landlord, uh, rental homes are going to be uh, rentals are going to be strong uh, because mm-hmm. people can't all afford to buy. So, with saying that, Ace, and what are the rates now? Rates, it's yeah. right around 4.75, Dottie. But, you know, going back to, to um, investment homes, that's actually a, a really big trend, especially in Queens, Brooklyn. Yeah. We see a lot of two-family homes. Even in Lo- Long Island, I mean, you see so many people that are doing seasonal rentals. We get a lot of a, a lot of um, clients looking for investment property loans on, on pretty much seasonal rentals as well. So, Long so, Beach. And, and the banks are, are, are pretty... Uh, flexible. When we they come are. back from the break, uh, Ace, uh, I have a question for you, and it's what is a jumbo mortgage, and when do I need one, and why do I need one? Um, we're going to hold that, and how do I qualify for a jumbo mortgage? So we're going to hold that. We'll be right back, 866-970-9622, and we'll explain, Ace will explain what a jumbo mortgage is and when you should figure out that you might need one and what you have to do to qualify for a jumbo mortgage. We'll be right back. 
It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. We're back, and uh, we were right before the break. We were talking to Ace. Um, we have a, a questions that how do I know that I need a jumbo mortgage? What is a jumbo mortgage, first of all? And uh, how do I know when I need one? And what do I have to do to get one? So, Ace, you want to take that away? Yeah, so a jumbo mortgage is anything um, higher than $453,100, right? So it increased from last year where it used to be $424,100. So, so um, it's four fifty three went up? Yes, so, so anything... Um, at a higher loan amount of, of 453000 is considered a jumbo loan here in New York. Now, so, in other words, if you're going to borrow <coughs> or take a mortgage out for over that, you have to get a jumbo. Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, New York is also considered a high-cost area. So, in, so basically, um, you do have what's called an agency jumbo, which is 679650 and that's um, sold to Fannie Mae. But um, for most so banks... So what does that mean? So that, it means that I can borrow... What does that mean? That means that you can still borrow um, you know, within those loan limits and you can still have a Fannie conforming deal. So when people tend to, tend to say the word jumbo, it means that banks will put that loan on their balance sheet. Right, so um, some of Wait, the some, yes. I'm confused. Please forgive me for interrupting you. Go ahead. So in New York City, the jumbo is six hundred and sixty-nine, not the five hundred and forty you mentioned. Six seventy-nine. Six seventy-nine, because it's in a higher cost area. So it they so what Fannie did was you know anything between four fifty-three and six seventy-nine could still be sold to Fannie um, if you wanted to. So you know banks could have the option to sell to Fannie um, under these. Loan limits, anything between. So, is it a deficit to take out a jumbo, or is it just the amount that you? It's just the amount, um, Stephen. So, basically, what you want to know is anything. Really, the rule of thumb is anything above four fifty three. Banks have the option to put it on their balance sheet, and that's really the most important thing. And some of the, I guess, um, I guess some of the rhetoric is, you know, is is a jumbo loan a higher interest rate, right? Or do you need more of a down payment? And if you look, you know, it's, it's, quite the, it's quite the contrary. If you look at a jumbo loan, a lot of times the rates are lower than what a conforming rate Yeah, lower than what a conforming rate is, right? So today, a 30-year fix, it's right around 4.75. But if you're looking to take out a jumbo loan, you're looking at a rate of 4.5 on a 30-year fix. So you're actually getting a, a cheaper rate a cheaper if you're rate. taking out a higher mortgage. Correct, because the banks actually set this rate. Okay, so let me ask you this. If yeah. you're getting if you're just if you're getting a jumbo loan because you're gonna buy something that you need to borrow that much money for, um, how about your uh, FICO store? Does it have to be better? Like does it have to be higher? I was reading something that says Yeah, so it has to be, yes, but then so, I read something to the contrary, so I don't know. So the FICO score really has to do with your rate, Dottie. So if you have a FICO score of 720 and above, usually you'll have the best rates. If you have a FICO score of 720 and below, um, you'll have a lower rate. Now, if you do take out a jumbo loan, most banks will require that you have at least a credit score of 680 and above. So they will not go below 680. And it's you know, okay, case by now, case. See, okay, this was from bankrate.com. It says, consider a jumbo loan. The FICO store have to be higher. The average is around 740, which you said. 
And then they say, although I've seen some as low as so, six sixty, and you're saying that's pushing it. Six seventy is pushing it. You know, I think anything below six eighty, um, it's really a case by case. You know, you, you would have to have compensating factors. But most of the time, if you're looking at a jumbo loan, banks are putting on their balance sheet. They'd like to see clients with around seven hundred and twenty credit score and above. Right. And now, Ace, you can still put 10% down. I mean, just because you're taking a jumbo loan, do you have to still put 20% or can you put 10% down? No, you can, you can even actually put 5% down, Dottie. That's what a lot of people don't know. And, you know, here at Citizens Bank, you can actually put 5% down all the way up to 850000 loan amount. Yeah. So, see, people have the misconception that with a jumbo loan, they have to put 20%. But at Citizens, you can... You said put 10% down or even less. 5% to 850,000, 10% to a million, and 15% to 1.5. So this is an amazing tool uh, for folks that don't have too, too much of a down payment, but you still have to qual- qualify on the income levels. But, you know, I mean, great, great uh, tool for someone coming into the jumbo market yeah. as well. Now, would you say the benefit like of a jumbo mortgage, and again, this is something that's an individual uh You'd have to talk to your accountant, but should you take a jumbo mortgage? Is that a benefit if you can, you know, if you qualify for one? Or should you, let's say you have the money and you could put more down and you don't have to take a jumbo mortgage. What's, you know, I, I play around with this a lot. What Does it pay to tie your money up? Okay, where you're actually taking cash out of your bank and or should you take and finance more? And uh, especially with the interest rates that are lower. Yeah, that's a, so, yeah, that's a really good question, Dottie. Uh, a lot of my clients, they always ask me, and I always ask them back, you know, what's your opportunity cost, right? Yeah, so, so I'd, I'd like to talk a little next week. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how much time we'll have today to talk about it. And there is no correct answer because no. I think uh, one size doesn't fit all. But you see, when you're looking at a mortgage, whether it be a, uh, a jumbo or a regular mortgage, uh, or you're looking at a home equity loan, you're let's say let's say you bought a home and you paid five hundred thousand dollars for it, and now it's and let's say you put a hundred thousand, so you have a mortgage of four hundred, and you paid five, and now it's worth seven. So you're basically sitting on three hundred thousand dollars worth of equity. Yeah, that equity that you're sitting is doing nothing. It's not working for you. In other words, your house is going to go up, whatever it's going to go up, regardless of what you do. And you have $300,000 of equity that's really getting no interest, that's getting nothing. So sometimes, and again, there's no, it depends on your circumstances. Sometimes people will take some of that out um, and they'll, you don't want to go to Vegas and gamble it, (laughs) but uh, you know, you might be able to do something and get some interest on it. Um, Sometimes people have the money to put a higher down payment than they do. And with the interest rates as low as they are, they say, well, you know what? Maybe I'll keep my money, and this way I have use of, I have cash, I have use of it, and then then I'll take out a higher mortgage. So kind of, uh, there's a lot more than, I mean, look, if you only have X amount of money and that's the only thing you can do, you have no options. But if you have a couple of options, it's an interesting exercise to go through, and whether it pays to take to finance more or to pay, put more down in cash, whether you should, when you have equity, you know, you don't want to do what they did in the recession where they pulled all their equity out and then they didn't have any money left. And when the market dropped, they were in trouble. 
but sometimes it makes sense to take some of it out. So there's a lot of interesting things that really we could talk about in financing that, again, you need to go further and talk to your financial advisor, whoever your accountant is, because your circumstances might be different. Uh, but you've got, look, you've got people that have had the houses, you know, they have no, they yeah. have very little mortgage. They have like a $10,000 mortgage. Should they pay it? Should they pull money out? Should they pay it off? A lot of different things. And, uh, you know, wealth is made not only because of making money. It's how you spend it and how you keep it. And the more you know, and I think that's what that book, Rich Dad, Poor if I recall that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, the more you know about money and the more you know about different options you have, the more likely you'll be able to save a lot more money and build a lot more wealth than you would if you didn't. And I can be the first one. I mean, look, I'm a business person. I think I'm fairly intelligent. I didn't pay attention to things like that as much as I should have when I was younger. And if I had, I probably would have God knows how much more money. So I think that I'm hoping that women and young and, and kids that are young and people that really didn't pay attention to money and the use of money and different maneuvers, well, at least learn about it. doesn't mean you have to do anything with it, but at least learn about it. And uh, I have a mission to uh, help people get financially savvy because people say, well, why would I worry about it? I don't make millions of dollars. You don't have to make millions of dollars. Uh, You know, the average person probably throws away a lot more money than they realize. And wouldn't you agree, Ace? No, there's so many vehicles, Dottie. I think, you know, what you said is is so right. It's not about how much money you make. It's about how you can make your money work for you, right? So you really just have to have... And and, and I think this is a whole show that we can talk about too, Dottie. Yeah, you know, and and again, I don't like to get too deep on a show all in one time because then it's a lot to absorb. It's like, what was that sleeping room? (laughs) Then they said, oh, we'll give you an accounting book to read. This way you'll really fall asleep. But it's interesting, and I don't think... my, I don't think enough people really understand money. And I'm not, I, you know, I, I don't think that it was really taught. And uh, you don't have to make a lot of money to end up having more than yeah. you think you could have. And there are even mortgage vehicles. There are certain mortgage vehicles that will help somebody in their situation a lot more than a different mortgage vehicle. So you really want to take the time, especially when it's your money. Uh, a little research doesn't cost you anything. A little education, and in the long run, it can make you a much richer life. So that's my advice for you. I uh, I am now going to run over to my friend's uh, event at Topping Rose for her husband, her charity event, and I will be in Chicago, and I will be back next week. Um, I'm hoping you all have a wonderful, safe, healthy week and enjoy the summer. I don't want to feel that it's coming to an end. I want it to last forever or at least for another two months. We'll be back next week.
Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.